warning, our opinions are our own. You can follow our advice if you want, but uh, we've been pretty successful so far. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. The best thing I can say is everything we're gonna say are strictly our opinions. Is how we feel. We are two people who are navigating through graduate school, so we might see it differently from anyone else. But it doesn't mean that our opinions aren't valuable to somebody out there who might feel the same way we do. So sit back, enjoy, and I hope you guys like what we're giving you. If not, sorry. <laughs> and hopefully you don't feel offended by cussing, because uh, this is not PG. It's not. I mean, and I mean the title has the word bitch in it, <laughs> but I mean like, bitch doesn't really define a person. It could be a feeling, a movement. I mean, female dog. A female dog. I don't know anything can be a bitch male female <laughs> gender non-conforming i mean like it's fine it's fine right. enjoy enjoy bitch i'm, I'm just, just trying, trying to graduate. graduate i'm maya i'm samnika and we are going to be your host and your magical black unicorns and guardians and fairy <laughs> people for your whole career of grad school we will be here to rant and rave about the joys and wonders and great things that happen for graduate students as well as the shitty times that graduate students are allotted and there are a lot of them yeah so um let's tell you about why we decided to create this podcast um basically there's three major reasons we want to talk about our love of science because we are scientists the lessons that we've learned throughout our phd journey and then sometimes we just need to vent talk about the bullshit that just happens on a day-to-day basis month to month (laughs) second by second (laughs) i mean it's so weird like to say we're scientists because it's like we're both in graduate programs and it's just like sometimes it just feels like i'm a junior scientist i haven't reached the level of full scientist yet oh nah i've been a scientist for a while (laughs) My my master's advisor, there was when I was like, I don't think I'm actually a scientist yet. And he was like, nah, you a scientist. And yeah. even my PI, he was like, you're a scientist. So I came into my PhD program like I'm a scientist already, which probably makes it where some of these people are like, this cocky motherfucker. <laughs> like, <laughs> one thing you will know about me, I do not have imposter syndrome. Mm-mm. Um stereotype threat now break it down break it down what these are oh (laughs) um so imposter syndrome is just this feeling of you are an imposter where you would you think that one day someone is going to realize that they made a mistake they're going to realize that you're not going to supposed to be here and they're just going to kick you out and then stereotype threat is the idea that you don't want to confirm a stereotype so how they say girls can't do math so you're like so upset or you're just so afraid that if you can't figure out this math pro- problem, you're going to confirm that stereotype that women can't do math. And then it's like, um, what is it called? When you're when you think about it so much, it actually comes true. Mm. So it's more of a psychological attack. Yep. yep. But me, nope, don't got neither one of those. Yeah, I ain't got it either. I mean, I came from an HBCU background where you basically was like do or die on top of um, just having to like do your science your way and learn things. It was pretty independent into a PWI where like if they run out of funding, it's automatically like let's burn down the city and we can't do anything and the lab's on lock and you got to ration out pipette tips and shit. <laughs> like it's, it's pretty bad, but... Uh, yeah, like I don't have any of those syndromes. It's, it's just kind of know who you are, you know what you can do. It's crazy how a PWI they make you. Oh, maybe we should. Um, <laughs> we went on a tangent, <laughs> yeah. Um, so why don't you explain what an HBCU is first since that was the first thing you mentioned? Um, okay, so HBCU is a historically black college university. There are many of them along the, well across the United States. I went to Tuskegee University in Tuskegee, Alabama. And I mean, they're basically institutions that were created for um, African-American students 
for, so that we can better ourselves in education. And I feel like all students, black students, should have some type of HBCU experience in their life. So I didn't go to HBCU. Um, I actually started off at a PWI. So a PWI is a primarily white institute. So the majority of the people that go there are white. Um, so I want to kind of back it up when I was talking about when you were talking about the whole like at HBCUs where they're like, oh, you uh, did you run out of money or something and y'all figure it out? You hustle, you figure out how to get there and how to mm-hmm. do what you got to do if it's low funding. You will find a way, but it seems like here at these PWIs, when they don't have enough money, they like they just want to shut everything down. They just don't know how to it's hustle. Like, it's like that episode of Rick and Morty. You remember, you, have you ever seen Rick and Morty? No. They did an episode with the purge. You never seen Rick and Morty? Oh my God, no! This, <laughs> this will not stand. We are going to watch this. But uh-huh. no, it was an episode of Rick and Morty where like a purge happened. And, like, everybody just kind of went into mass anarchy because of some bullshit. And that's kind of what you see, like, with grant writing. And if people's grants don't get funded, they're kind of just like, just shut down everything. Like, no preliminary data. And I'm like, what? Like, no. It's actually really interesting. So um, we're recording this a little bit early, though it's going to come out at the beginning of the semester. Mm -hmm. But summer is the time for conferences mm. and my advisor um i just sent him this thing an email saying i applied for this scholarship for this um, travel funds tsa and um they might contact you i don't know they just said that i had to give you your email so if you get an email you'll know that this is what it's for and his response was okay um i also have some money if you want to go to um for travel for you traveling to conferences and i'm like this is what my fourth year and this is the first time you've offered me money to go to conferences but I've been to like eight already because I hustled to make my way to go through mm-hmm. to conferences like my advisors don't know this but throughout my PhD journey I've had had um, four jobs on the side to make extra money but I'm the only black person in my lab and I go to so many conferences and I just find a way if I have to budget, if I got to eat ramen noodles. No, nah, I don't eat ramen noodles. But if I had <laughs> but if I had to eat ramen noodles so I can go to a conference to present this paper, to add this on my CV, I would. But the other people in the lab, they'd be like, well, I don't have funding for this. I'm like, I'm applying. And my after I got accepted, I figured that shit out eight months later. <laughs> and be like, if I got to drive my car to Florida... Because it only take, um, in my little bitty car, maybe $100 on gas instead of spending $600 on a plane ticket. Mm-hmm. I will put the mileage on my car. If I got a volunteer so I can, um, what, volunteer, what, 12, 13 hours so I can get free registration for that conference, I'm going to do that. If I got to stay at a hostel where I'm sleeping in a room with eight other people, <laughs> well, seven other people in a bunk bed just so I can go to this conference, hey, I'm going to do what I got to do because I got to get a job. And you know, we got to work twice as hard. You lost me at hostel, but I understand. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. It's the movie. The bougie in me was just like, what? Hostel uh, people. Programs? What? But um, no, like, you're absolutely right. The hustle is strong and it's real. And, like, you got to do what you got to do to further yourself. Like, grad school, your advisor and leadership is only half the battle like you got to do the rest because at the end of the day once you get your degree you got to start your own lab or you're going to work with a company where you're probably going to have to be over projects so you got to learn that independence and your advisor is not going to be like hey you should go to this conference and i'm gonna pay your way nah you got to be like hey i applied for this conference and i need such and such amount of money can you contribute something and be prepared for them to say nah i ain't got it but <laughs> but if they um they're more likely to probably give you money if you be like, Hey, I already uh I already got accepted, my abstract is accepted, I already got um I found the cheapest hotel or whatnot. I'm gonna room with a you know, roommate or something. Um, but yeah, so I guess we kinda did go off on a tangent. We went off on a huge <laughs> tangent. We just moonwalked out of why we even we were explaining to y'all why we created this podcast. And you see, graduate students, our minds are all over the place. We just <laughs> Yeah. Well yeah, so um so when we were talking about our educational journey, so Maya, you did say you went to HBCU and mm-hmm. then a PWI, so you're here now. Mm-hmm. Um I started off as a PWI 
So I was there for two years, and then life happened. I transferred to a um, minority serving institute, so an MSI, um, it's, and I finished my ma- my bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. I went to another MSI. So the first one I went to was primarily Hispanic. The second one I went to primarily black, and that's where I did my um, master's degree. And so the, the I guess the difference between a MSI and a HBCU is, of course, HBCU is historically black, but a MSI is not historically black, but it's primarily black just because, you know, demographics change. They had to start letting us in. And then, you know, when we come somewhere, white people want to go other places. But, uh, yeah, and then now I'm back at a PWI. Um, I, I like it to a certain extent. Um, I would say I had a way better experience at my PWI when I was an undergrad than I have here. I guess the next thing is, why did you decide to go to grad school, Maya? Oh, man. So I decided to go to grad school because, I mean, I was already on a roll. I had got a bachelor's in science in environmental health. And then I was like, okay, so I want to do a master's. I want to get some research experience. So I got a master's. And then after that, I was like, I guess I might want to go into academia and be a professor. Because in my mind, I thought from seeing how my advisors were, they they were literally like the Professor Lupin and Sirius Black characters of my life. Like they just, they had their own level of doing things. They were fun to be around and their experiences were so cool that I was like, I want to be one of those type of professors. And I was like, I'm going to go get a Ph.D. in something that I want to do, and I'm going to be one of these cool professors. Like, that was it. I was like, I know a research project I want to do. I have a study I want to do, and I want to mentor kids and and other people into being cool professors. Like, that's literally my, my thought process. And then when I got in the Ph.D. program, <laughs> it shifted a little bit. Um, I still love the teaching and mentoring aspect of it. Of course, I love the research part or else I would have like left. But I am opening my eyes to um, not just being in academia or different aspects of academia, but also trying to pursue other avenues that you can. So if I want to go into industry and government, probably after 45 um, leaves office. And then, um, you know going from there and just trying new things so yeah yeah so um I guess one thing I want to emphasize is hopefully you um decided to go to grad school for a reason not just because you thought hey I don't know have anything else to do so you actually have an end goal in mind Mm -hmm. so um I actually decided to go to grad school was I originally started um school wanting to be a medical doctor because you know when you're smart intelligent everyone say oh you should be a doctor you should be a lawyer and you're black you know all black people they parents yeah. are like you're gonna be a doctor yeah you're gonna be a doctor i actually had somebody um dis- somebody that i didn't even know a stranger completely disappointed in me because i was going to a phd program <laughs> um when <The> he disrespect <laughs> when he found out i was um just random like i was literally on a train he started talking to me and I'm like, I'm on vacation, about to start my PhD program. He's like, oh, PhD, so you must be really smart. So I'm like, yeah, I think I'm pretty smart. And he's like, well, why don't you go to med school? And I'm like, because that's not the career path that I want to take. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, that's really, you know, that was um, kind of silly of him to do that. When I was in my junior year of high school, I met this amazing teacher who's like, kind of like my Professor Lupin, Professor McGonagall. Not Professor McConaughey, my uh, serious black, who's just awesome in the way that she taught ecology. Mm-hmm. And I ended up becoming a field tech um, that summer for this in another state. You probably, um, I, I, I will definitely share that experience with you guys later because that was a shitstorm. But um, it did not deter me from wanting to do research. And so I decided to get a master's degree. And then, um, funny enough, while I was doing my master's, I found out I could be a substitute teacher because I had my bachelor's degree from someone who was in the program. So then I started being a substitute teacher. The school that I worked at, they were like, you teach. There is a lesson plan, you teach. And even though I was teaching little kids, I learned that I actually like it. 
um, I was, it was like K through 12. So when I was in the high school part, the students, like the 11th, 12th grade girls, they were like, oh my God, you got a bachelor's and you look just like us. So that mentoring aspect, the teaching aspect and the research aspect. So then my advisor at that time, it just kind of like, click together that, hey, I can do all three. I can do outreach. I can teach, mentor, do research. I can become a professor. I can go get my PhD and do all this good stuff. Mm -hmm. So um, that's basically the reason I came to grad school because I do want to go into academia. I have not been um, dissuaded um, as of yet, disillusioned. Um, I'm I'm going to change the system. So even though you guys are... um, you're going to go now and you're going to have some hardships and hopefully with this podcast we can kind of teach you some tricks and tricks of the trade to try to like get through with at least amount of pain as possible but um one day i will be the dean of a college and this shit is gonna be different i mean yeah that's that's big ups i like that (laughs) I do. I mean, I, and let's just be clear. We're not bashing medical school, but we're kind of just trying to show that, hey, just because I'm black and I'm smart, I don't necessarily want to go to medical school. And that seems to be, kind of be the... It seems to be the only option that people think that if you're smart, if you're black, either you become a lawyer or a doctor, else you are done nothing with your life, or you become a musician or, you know, a rapper or a basketball player or something like that. That Those seem to be, like, the only tracks of, like, I don't know if you guys have seen, like, when we watch TV shows, those are what the people, that's what the people do. Either they're a basketball player, the, the, they're doctors, they're lawyers, you know, like Uncle Phil. Like, even on Blackish, we have Dre, who's the, um, I guess he's the media, court, like, the... I mean, he's doing something different, so I would But he's, like, a production it. person, but, mm-hmm. yeah, but it's still, like... In with, media and stuff right. like that. And then the... Um, then Rainbow is a doctor. Yeah. I'm like, can't we have somebody that's like a professor? Well, I mean, and that's that's a story on its own, and that's probably why you're starting to see more people, more African American people, in PhD programs, so that we can break the cycle and start new trends and do other things. So you can see that oh, you you have a teacher that looks like you that yeah. can do stuff like that, and that's wonderful. I'm kind of on my Cardi B thing right now, where like after I get this degree for a good five years, I'm gonna make money. <laughs> like uh, I'm just I'm gonna make money, and then after that I'll be like I will go back into teaching because I, mean, I love it. Money, uh, more money than I've had. Well, yeah. Ever. So it's interesting on Twitter. So there was mm-hmm. this, just this conversation about um, where someone tweeted that um, professors telling their students not to worry about that six year of funding is comes from a place of privilege like yeah. the, 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 the the professor's like oh why are you trying to graduate so fast why are you um why are you asking me how you're going to get funded next year don't worry about it they're coming from a place of privilege where they don't have like right now they don't have to worry about where their next paycheck is coming from mm-hmm. or when they went to grad school they had money so that like little stipend that they get was just chump change to them and they don't understand that us come in like we are literally living paycheck to paycheck like i've had my advisor he's like why are you trying to graduate in five years i'm like because i'm only guaranteed five years of funding mm-hmm. and i want to make money i just went to a workshop a couple of weeks ago um that's is like a professional development thing and i was talking to someone it's like i'm trying to graduate in five years i really don't want to do a postdoc um my hope is to get straight into a tenure track position but i will but i'm like i'm ready to make i'm ready to make real money and the person just laughed and they're like you know professors don't make that much money professors don't make money like that no no okay so i'm about to go somewhere different with that so they're like you know professors don't make that much money and i'm like um professors make like 80k a year $80,000 a year. Well, $80,000 for nine months, even though it's split. And then technically you can, um, when you get grants, you can do summer salary, which Mm -hmm. is an additional on top of that 80. So you could be making almost $100,000 a year. I don't know where you grew up, but $100,000 a year. Oh, that's, that's that's money. (laughs) That's money, money. Right. So, I mean, for them to say that professors don't make that much money, I'm like, my mom worked as a CNA. Her monthly, her yearly salary salary was like twenty five thousand thirty k. That's like with three kids. That's food stamp money. That's Section Eight <laughs> money. So eighty k is like right now. That's 
three times as much money as I'm making right now. So to me, that is money. So these people that are coming from a place of privilege that think that 80K, $80,000 a year is not money. Yeah. That's money. I don't know how much, well, but yeah, you might be making, you talking about money, money? Yeah, I mean, like, I feel like if people have it in their hearts to go directly into postdocs and academia Mm -hmm. and blah, 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 that's wonderful. Like, I plan on going there, but I'm going to at least spend five years honing my new skills that I just, you know, got a degree for Mm -hmm. in a fast-paced environment as far as like in government or industry mm-hmm. and i'm gonna give me some money and i'm gonna stack up my money without the it. stress of being of, the of the, the the rat race for the tenure right and then mm-hmm. when i'm comfortable and i've secured what i need to secure then i will you go secure the through, bag right <laughs> i will go through the war of academia like it's all about the approach of how you get to academia i'm not so much disillusioned disillusioned or disenfranchised by academia but i do kind of feel that People kind of rush into it, and I'm like, no, I'm finna just like squirrel away some money and stuff, so that I'm not stressing over certain things when I get in there. Cause the professors that are stressed, you can tell. Yeah, but like, I think they're mostly stressed about like trying to get that tenure, cause you know you get like six or seven years to get when they then they you know they put you up and like, are you gonna keep this job or are we gonna just say adios? So yeah. they're trying to get that tenure, but you know once you get tenure, that's basically job security where mm-hmm. you ain't gotta worry about getting fired. I have a tenure leaves a bad taste in my mouth, and I I can explain why. And it I know, mm, so because some people who get tenure really don't deserve tenure. Yeah, like, it's it's pretty horrible. I like, mean, if we got completely rid of the tenure system, I would be fine. But I'm not gonna say get rid of tenure now, just because I'm like. Don't I mean since tenure is a system like is, since it is a system I want to get advantage of take advantage of that you know they probably gonna dismantle it now that there's like more people it's becoming more it's becoming less homogenous they're gonna be like you know what we're gonna get rid of this tenure system so we don't like this I mean I'm I'm just looking at it from the perspective of like you just get assholes yep. that get tenure and then their their research production and productivity basically diminishes the amount of grants they get diminishes the teaching the 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 quality of their teaching mm -hmm. you don't even see them on campus anymore i mean they're just they're just trash like they're just garbage and then like everybody's aspiring to be these people but i'm like i only see them like twice a week like they ain't doing anything uh, I ain't got to worry about that. I'm even when I got after I get tenure, I'm gonna be in my office from nine to four. Those are the only mm-hmm. times you're gonna see me. You're not gonna see me at eight o'clock at night. You're not gonna see me on the weekends. But during work hours, you will see me. Unless That's my sporadic. kids got some um something that they need. Unless I need to go on a field trip with them, or they homesick. You know, my imaginary kids. When I do have kids. <laughs> All right. So I guess maybe we should just actually, you know, 22 minutes into this podcast, get into <laughs> the topic of the day. Um. So, oh, yeah. So our topic of the day is called grad school or whatever. <laughs> What's the 411? Mm-hmm. Um, so we're basically going to just help you um, learn how to navigate grad school, give you some tips and just try to like may- hopefully give you some things so you don't make the same mistakes that we've made. Because we still make mistakes. We are both four years into our Ph.D. program Ooh. and had a master's and an undergrad and we still do stuff where our advisor has to like sit us down and be like so Maya I need to talk to you just be like man y'all keep doing stupid shit (laughs) (laughs) well I mean I wouldn't say stupid stuff but I mean some of it is out of ignorance so Mm -hmm. just the fact that you don't know because you don't have that most of us are first generation grad students Mm -hmm. even if we're not first generation college students but your parents are probably not professors. So, like, there are plenty of students where their family is just, academia is their, like, family occupation. So they know yeah. all the ins and outs, the catacombs and the, 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 the tunnels that they have to go through. And we just don't know it. So we don't know what we're supposed to do on day one mm-hmm. or day 58. Funny story about that. I mm-hmm. remember, like, when I did my um, my, like introductory meeting or like you know when they fly you out here and stuff to Mm -hmm. meet with the potential professors of university of mind your goddamn business we ain't gonna tell y'all where we at (laughs) um when i did it i remember i was in the room 
and everybody was like, oh, my mom and dad are professors, and my dad just recently retired, and he just bought a peanut farm, and I mean, like, just all type of, like, shit, and they were like, what did your parents do? And I was like, um, my mom worked at AT AT&T, and my dad, um... He was uh, a part of the um, sanitation department Mm -hmm. working in water quality. And they were looking at me like, oh, that's nice. That's nice. That's nice. And I was like, yep. Yeah, like how, like, my friend just told me yesterday that this random, um, well, not random person, but in her clean room, he asked asked her where she was from. And she told him the city. And she was like, oh, that's good that you got out of poverty. She said that? He said that to her. That is good that she got out of poverty. And we're from the same city. And Uh, I wanted to be like, she was like, I don't know if it's out of ignorance or out of racism. Because maybe just people think that everybody from this city just lives in poverty. Did she she gather him? I don't think so. Oh, no. She sent me a text message, so obviously she did not. No, she did. See, y'all are better people. No, she is a better person. Okay. (laughs) I went off. I was like, did you, like... He wouldn't be able to look me in the eye. That clean room wouldn't have been clean no more. Mm-mm. Okay. I'm All right. Sorry. On a tangent. Yeah. Um, so hopefully um, just throughout this that we can like um, help you figure it out. So a part of this podcast, um, we are going to each week or every two weeks, biweekly, um, based on our topic, we're going to give you some do's and don'ts um, mm. just for that. So... But first, we want to talk about how to start your semester off right, because this is the beginning of the semester. Let's just tell you a little bit about how we started our first semesters of grad school and how that experience went. Maya? Mm, I'll go first. (laughs) (sighs) All right. So if you haven't noticed by now, I am a I am a Potterhead, so I enjoy Harry Potter. We're both Potterheads, and I will probably refer to certain professors and people as Harry Potter characters. If you do not get the references, it is okay. It just means go read the books, or just Google it. Or Google it. Google is your best friend in grad school. But um, so I guess my first year, I can describe it as rough. So, again, I was coming from, well, I came from an HBCU, so you can think that there was a bit of a culture shock of going from a predominantly black university to being surrounded by white people. Colonizers. (laughs) And we don't mean that in the way of just like, oh, my God, these white people are everywhere. I don't know what to do. It was just kind of like, wow. Like, the way they do things are very different. And, like, the way they interact with each other was kind of weird and everybody it's kind of like game of thrones like people like each other but they don't like each other and then if you try to compete with them for something you can tell when they don't really get along at a certain time or period but they'll still smile on your face yeah i can't stand it that and it's passive aggressive but that's a tangent for another day um so basically that first year was me trying to get um acclimated to where i'm at like basically hey all right i'm coming from a university where i basically was an independent student but i still had really good leadership to an advisor who was just like i'm here i'm there and if i don't like what you're doing i'm gonna tell you about it two months from now like she was the worst and then on top of that she basically was a micromanager Now, I do not like micromanaging. I like to be able to sit down with you, hash out our ideas, talk about what we want to do, and then actually start coming up with a nice plan. I'm I'm a whiteboard thinker. Like, put a board in front of me. I will outline out my entire project what you need me to do, what I plan on doing, and and it'd just be a good marriage of ideas. Mm -hmm. She was like, this is what you're doing. This is what you need to do. This is when it needs to be done. And I'll see you next week. We had a meeting every fucking week. She was like, I'll see you next week to see if anything's changed. I was just, no, she was just like Dolores Umbridge. If I could describe her as a Harry Potter character, she was going to be Lord Voldemort. But then I realized that I hate Dolores Umbridge more than I hate (laughs) Lord Voldemort. So that's how she was. And like to everybody else, she was like nice and happy. But not everybody. That's true. (laughs) 
but all the other people, she, she treated better than her own students. And then it's weird because now some students are just like, I love her. She's the most wonderful person ever. And I'm like, she's batshit crazy. But you might be batshit crazy too. So it's fine. I'm like, it's okay. But yeah, my first year was a lot of mistakes on my part. I was still learning how to communicate with my advisor. And I, and it just didn't seem like a good fit. So by the end of that year, and probably a semester, I had basically transferred out of that graduate program into a graduate program that's a better fit for me. And I'm going to let everybody know right now, that was probably the best decision of my life. Like, you don't understand. Like, if you feel discouraged in a program or you feel like it is not for you, you have either two choices. Either you can sit down with your advisor, talk about it and see what you can do. And what they can do, more so you, because this is your degree. You're the independent thinker. Or get the hell out of there. Like, I, that's what I did. I was like, I found a department in which I think I would be a better fit. And this is some research that I truly have a desire to do. And that was that. Okay. Yeah. So, speaking of Dolores Unbridge. So, I'm. She's not the. Uh, Maya's not the only one that had an issue in her first year with Dolores Unbridge. Mm. So she's not my advisor. She is the head of my program. And um, in orient, so uh, you start. You, when you start your, when you when you start grad school, you have to come up with a topic. You you figure out what your research is going to be, and usually that happens in your first semester. So um, at our school, we also have this thing, we have an orientation. And in the orientation, they want um, us to apply for like grants because you know this is that rat race, applying for grants and fellowships. So the whole orientation course was built about around applying for the NSF GRFP. Now, I could not apply for this because I already had a master's. Therefore, I'm not gonna say, I'm, I w it's not that I wasn't qualified, it's I wasn't eligible to apply. Because I was probably overqualified. I was overqualified. That's because they want someone, they want to make sure people can succeed in grad school. And if you already have a master's, they kind of like know that you're, you're going to be good. Mm. Though they have their other issues about who actually gets those um, things. That's true. Um, it doesn't seem like the purpose is actually matching it up with the outcomes. But um, <laughs> so because I could not um, apply for that, they, you know, they gave an alternative. They were like, if you can't apply for this fellowship, pick another fellowship and write out, um, send your application, like um, give us your application there. So throughout the course of the semester, we were supposed to write an outline, first draft, and second draft. Um, and if we were picking something other than the NSFGRFP, you were supposed to attach the instructions for that fellowship. That way, your, the person, um, whoever, your director of graduate studies, which, in case, was Dolores Armbridge, is supposed to be able to read so they can know what you're applying for. God bless her. She was in charge of everything. <sighs> I think she just loves to be in charge of everything. <sighs> which, it kind of, it's, it's kind of scary because I like to be in charge, but I'm not that type of person. Mm -hmm. But, so, I did what I was supposed to do. The very first thing we were supposed to do was write an outline. Um, and there was three statements that I was supposed to write. And I'm still trying to figure out my project. I'm literally still trying to figure out exactly which one I want to do. So, um, and it's an outline. To me, an outline is a bullet point, you know, a brief sketch. And then, granted, remember, this is two weeks into the semester. And I literally am trying to choose between two projects that I want to do. But, so I write this outline and I submit it. She takes it upon herself to email my advisor and say that, she doesn't think that um, I'm making satisfactory progress in my PhD program. It's two weeks into the semester. It's two weeks into the semester. Like, that's so fucked up. Like, I just can't deal. Oh. But luckily, my advisor, who is like Professor McGallingall, he's stern and strict, but he has my best interests at heart. So not only does he tell her off, he tells me to tell her off. <laughs> well, no, he doesn't tell me to tell her off, but he tells me to send her an email um, 
to like try to like clear up this thing. So yeah, I literally sent her email like, hey, I spoke with my advisor. He said that you sent him an email that said this. I'm not quite sure if there was a misunderstanding, but I have a master's degree and a publication. Therefore, I wasn't applying for the NSFGRP. I was applying for this other fellowship. Not quite if you actually understood that, um, but thank you very much. And she's like, oh, well, I don't know if there's an understanding. Do you want to talk about it in person? I'm like, nope, we don't need to talk about it in person. I'm just going to let See, you know. That was a prime opportunity for a corporate clapback. You should have been like, as I said in my last email. <laughs> I didn't know what corporate clapbacks for that. So um, because of that interaction, very my first year, every time she sees me, she's like, hi, Samnika, hi, how are you doing? I'm glad you're doing this and you're doing that and all this stuff. And she's so proud of me. And, yes, she is the she is that person that is going to take – take credit for everything that I've done. Like there have been times where she's like, oh, thank you for volunteering at this thing. Thank you for being on the steering committee. Thank mm. you for um, doing this workshop. Um, I went to meet with the graduates, the um, oncoming, the prospective graduate students. And she was like, Samnika, she knows how to get all these like grants and stuff and how to go to conferences. And she's like literally just like, like a proud mother, like talking about me. And I'm sitting up here like, first of all, I, I write that shit off of my taxes. <laughs> like any personal money I spend to go on a conference, I write that shit off. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, if it was up to you, I wouldn't have made it past my first year. But luckily, I do have an advisor that will advocate for me. So one thing I would say is if you, no matter if it is day one, if it's day 1,254, if you if your advisor ever does anything where they are not advocating for you, drop him. Like, drop him or her. Be like, look for someone else. Run, run as fast as you can. Mm-hmm. Because if your advisor is not going to advocate for you, who will? Yeah, first address it. Like, hey, yeah. do you want me Don't to just succeed? be like, I quit. <laughs> yeah, do you want me to succeed? Like, do you want me to better myself? Well, I need you to be a little bit more in my corner be a right. little bit more supportive and that's about it and if they don't work from there you ain't got to necessarily leave the lab but you just kind of find you another mentor like you don't work so hard for that degree find you another mentor yeah i mean as long as they're not actively trying to like sabotage you right but if you realize that they don't you definitely need to find someone who will advocate for you a good way to start the semester off right is that we'll get into a list of our top do's and don'ts of being in a uh, of starting grad school so when you look at grad school you have to look at it not just from an academic perspective you have to look at it from a social perspective too because work-life balance yeah it's work-life balance and then on top of it now you have a lot of I don't want to call them kids. Good God. You have a lot of um, people that are going from bachelor's straight into PhD programs. And, I mean, if it's for you, do it. I loved my master's experience. On top of it, I got a degree. And that was kind of, to me, like my cushion. I was like, I don't know what to expect from a PhD. It might be a tad bit too much for me. I might not want to do it after a while. But I have a master's to kind of, you know, some cushion. Yeah, I would say um, not to discourage anyone, but if you did get accepted into this into a PhD program, you're straight after your bachelor's degree. Um, you know, a, batch, a, a PhD is supposed to take five years. Usually, if you have a master's, it takes a little bit longer because you're going to spend the first year like struggling and trying to get your foot on the ground and whatnot. And if you're really not quite sure, you know, it might be best to do a master's, maybe talk to your program and see if you can switch to maybe do a master's first and then like with the condition like, okay, I'm gonna get I'm gonna do these first two years, the masters and if I continue decide that I want to continue, I'll continue on into it I'll transfer it into a PhD program. Mm-hmm. Um I know definitely having a master's has like um that master's was that the the program that I went to they 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 build it as a bridge to a PhD program so they did like prepare us and it definitely prepared me for like my PhD because here at this big research one institute mm-hmm. um they like your professors are so they really they're so concerned with like their research they they they, they can't do those small little interactions so like um with you I mean yeah, I don't want to discourage you as like if you're a master's student at the thing, but the fact that if you're a master's student, your t- your your professor is going to your advisor is going to know. Okay, this person is a master's student. They're 
I wouldn't say they have lower standards. No, it's a t- it's just a tad bit more intimate. It's yeah. like they they will they understand you, that you're a master student. Mm-hmm, they will give you more attention because they see it as a introduction introductory feel into graduate school. So you'll get a little bit more attention towards a P- besides a PhD student where they feel like okay you've excelled and you've reached a level in which you will be a tad bit more independent. And they overthink that independence even if you're straight from an undergrad because it's it's very interesting the way um, I'm my advisor's first. PhD student who's already had a master's. Mm-hmm. He's had um, PhD students straight from undergrad, and he's has master students, and he really has like no idea what to do with me because I'm like, and he's like, oh, okay, you don't need me. Um, what do you need me to do? Like, oh, you got this, and because he's used to like having to give all that extra help. And what's hilarious is that some of my lab mates don't even think he gives all that much help either. But I'm looking like. He gives he gives a, a decent amount of help, but you know they are some ungrateful, <clears throat> um, ungrateful children um, at times. Um, but yeah, so if um, I guess if we go back to what we were talking about as far as like with work life balance, like one thing I do want to stress, like treat your grad school as a job. You know, a job is forty hours a week. Sometimes you have to do some overtime. Mm-hmm. But um, don't do overtime all the time because, first of all, you ain't getting overtime pay. That's true. <laughs> and second, you're going to burn out. Like, I used to work when I would do doubles, and then I could, like, only maybe do, like, three in a row, and then I crash for day number four. Um, so just that 40 hours a week that you spend doing your work, doing your schoolwork, maybe 50. Make sure you get eight hours of sleep a night. If you drink... I say do at least 10 hours of sleep. Yeah. How about schedule 10 hours of sleep? And you can have a little wiggle room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that I way. I wake up and go right back to sleep. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm getting these hours. But other than that, yeah. Um, make sure you, um, that self-care is really important, important. So do something that's good for you. If you like working out, you know, make sure if like that's, make sure you have like your time. So if you like working out, mm-hmm. if you like reading a book, if you like, I mean, if you like drinking. Um, don't drink too much. Yeah, don't. But, you know, if you have to have a glass of wine at the end of the day, you know, just yeah, make get sure. get your Olivia Pope on, but don't get your <laughs> frat boy just drunk, pissy drunk on. I don't know. Um, if you like getting your nails done, your hair done. All that stuff, like, my mom used to tell me um, when I would, like, I would, like, always work. And she's, like, she's like every paycheck, spend something on yourself, mm-hmm. even if it's something little. Because you don't want to feel like you're working for nothing. Treat yourself. Treat yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So, I guess we're going to get into the do's and don'ts of as you start in grad school. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to talk about the social aspects first. We pretty much did. but um, Well, there's a couple of parts we didn't. Yeah. So the first part of our social do's and don'ts is, first of all, force yourself to be social in any way that is comfortable with you. Like how Sam stated, like, hey, if you, uh, you want to go to the gym and work out and relieve stress that way, you can. Uh, if you think that Friday nights should be kickback nights and you feel like you want to have people over and just kind of vibe with them, do it. Uh, like I am a um, glass of wine, curl with a book, golden girls playing in the background type of person. But, um, yeah, like that's my unwind time. And um, occasionally I will go and get my nails done because I just need to. And for other people, trying to force force yourself to be social could be just going out, getting out of your house. Like, you work all the time as a graduate student. Like, it says 40 hours, but you're (laughs) going to do more than 40 hours. Like, you might not be in lab from 8 o'clock in the morning to 8 o'clock at night, but you're going to be in lab or in your office for a substantial amount of time. So when you're not in your office, force yourself to go to that new bar that just opened up or go see that movie you've been putting off. Like, do that. And it kind of brings us to another thing where it's like just trying to find a group of people or it's like it's just it's okay to make your own little group and to join groups that have interests similar to what you want to do. I don't care if it's you want to knit hats or if you feel the need to... 
I don't know, drink at various different places of a town. Bar crawls or what's that running and drinking? Hashing. Hashing. (laughs) I don't understand it. I'm not going to do it. I don't like, I run for, I run for my heart. I don't enjoy (laughs) it, but I run to try to keep my heart healthy. Um, And I think drinking in the process negates that. I mean, do what... Do whatever is comfortable for you. No judgment. Right. Just, yeah, you find you a group of people that can do the weird things that you do. Yeah, so, um, but don't get too, too much into your comfort zone. So take a few risks on Mm -hmm. being social. You know, try some new experiences. Um, There's definitely some things that I've tried over the last four years that um, I first I was just like, you want to do what? (laughs) Name one. Um, (laughs) (laughs) well i mean i went to a comedy club several times and i started to enjoy that so Mm. i didn't do that type of stuff i mean honestly me taking a risk on being social was literally leaving my house damn so yeah so um yeah my like my first year like you know how i said okay work 40 hours like and even though that's not, like, a hard line of, like, okay, 4 o'clock, you clock out, you done. Mm. But sometimes it is. <laughs> well, it, it is for me. Like, I'm, like, it's 4. I'm going home. I will finish this tomorrow. Because your work is never done. You're never going to finish anything. You're only going to finish it when you finish your dissertation. And then, even then, after you deposit it, you still got to write the papers. So everything is going to be continue on to another day. But I literally would, like, 4 o'clock, I'm done, go home eat at five in bed by seven wake mm-hmm. up at five did not see nobody like I was not social at all so the fact that I am doing this podcast right now <laughs> that is a risk that I have taken that I enjoy I mean like, I am definitely a different person than I was four years ago and that's like you know that's growth right there yeah it is I think um my risk-taking social activity was um I had participated in my first bar crawl, and um, yeah, Tuskegee is not known as a bar area. I mean, it's literally the university grass and grass. Like that's all we got. <laughs> like, and um, I mean, it's a very rural area. But so coming there to like a small city area that has its own like little nightlife, it was um, it was different. And it was around Halloween, and, you know, I've never really celebrated Halloween like that. Like, you got your little candy and whatever, and you went home. But, um, like, graduate students here, they were like, no, we're going to get dressed up, and we're going to get drunk, and we're going to walk around. And that's literally how it was presented to me. <laughs> like, we're going to dress up, get drunk, and walk around. And I was like, I'll try it. Like, that was it. I'm not doing no bra crawl because that right there is what public intoxication. Oh, it's so many different infractions. Yeah, and my black ass would probably be the one going to jail. Not even drunk, just going to jail. But I tried it anyway because I was like, why not? If you hate it, you'll never do it again. So I got dressed up. I think the first year I did it, um, I dressed up as uh, either a basic ass cat. Or, no, no, me and my fiance dressed up as Rick and Morty. That was the first year we ever did it. And um, we we did it. We walked around and people got drunk. And we realized that we were not here for public intoxication. Like, we were just like, we will get buzzed. But I, and then by the time you finish your damn drink, they're on to another bar. So, like, as soon as I put my glass down. Let's go like, to the next one. Yeah, I was like, what the fuck? Like, I'm just give me a minute. Digest this shit. And they're just carrying people. Like, people were just tanking out. Because they had already been drinking before the bar crawl started. Pre-game. And then they were just laid out. So, you got people basically carrying people to the other bars and propping them up in the corner while they still drink. And after a while, I was like, no, F this. I'm going to go to the liquor store, go get me something, and I'll get drunk at home. It's fine. Like, (laughs) So so I guess that brings us to the last one of social do's and don'ts. Know your limits. Yeah. So um, not everybody has logic or common sense. Yeah. Um, You got to be able to accept that. So, you know, don't be like, oh, why are you drunk or 
why would you do that? But, you know, I mean, in your head, you probably say it. Just make sure you don't say it out loud. Yeah, you have control of your tongue. Not even that. I mean, just understanding that everybody's from the same background. Like, you're going to meet some affluent-ass people that are literally getting degrees because... They ain't got nothing else to do. Right. Or their parents are paying for, like, everything at, until they get that degree. So you might deal with those type of people or just the legacy PhDs where, like, everybody in their family has a PhD and they have to keep it going. Or you might, you know, just meet other types of people... That And they're all just kind of different. And the way they handle stress is different. The way they socialize are different. So you just got to kind of be understanding towards the way they do things. Right. That's it. Okay. So uh, now we're going to get into the academic do's and don'ts. Because, of course, grad school is not all about social. You you, you got to do some. You, you got to get good grades. You got to make progress. <laughs> you got to make satisfactory progress. Because that shit is. um And the grad handbook, you know, they say. You continue to get funding provided satisfactory progress when you really don't know what the fuck they measuring you on. Mm-hmm. But there are some um, we we have some we have some tips of what we've kind of like figured out what this satisfactory progress is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll go into the first one. So the first one is um, know yourself. So just know who you are, why you're there, and um, how you work how you interact, what are your times? Like, I know with Sam, she says she's more of a nine to five type of graduate student. Some people might not be that. Like, sometimes you might not be as productive during the day. Your main times of writing and doing things as far as academically are at night. Uh, Be able to express that and show that to your advisor. Be able to communicate that with your advisor. Know what type of person you are. Are you passive aggressive? Are you just damn aggressive like no are you direct very direct and like know what type of person you're and that's not a bad thing like just know the type of person you are so that when people come up to you you can just be like hey look i don't like passive aggressiveness if you have something to say say it to me or just different type of things just be able to to communicate yourself to others without feeling like you have to completely change yourself or your narrative for them and knowing how you work is crucial to working mm-hmm. because you got to work you got to write that you got to write those papers you got to write that proposal you got to do that research mm-hmm. so if you know you got to be there if you're a night person and you got to be in the lab at night then no you can't go out drinking at eight o'clock at night no. when everybody else because you got to be in the lab because mm-hmm. you don't work good in the morning um if you know you got some other commitments and you only have a certain time like the the excuses don't go well like Mm-mm. In academia, you can't say, like, okay, yes, you might have kids or you might have family issues, but these people are not understanding about that. Mm -hmm. And they might be like, oh, okay, you got to go. You got to go home for two weeks because your mom's sick. Okay, but you still need to write this proposal. They don't give a damn. No, I mean, because they got kids and they got family issues and they're still trying to write grants and whatever, too. Yeah, and then if you go home and you sit on your computer doing it and your family sitting up there like, why are you doing this? Be like, because I got to work. <laughs> like, yeah. this is my job. Most of us as PhD students, you are getting some type of stipend. You are getting paid for your work. So if you got to tell your family, hey, I got to do this, I got to do this. Yeah. Um, the next one is you have to build. Um, so you need to start building relationships early. This is networking. Be cordial. Even when you don't like nobody, you still got to say, hey, how you doing? Even if you don't care how they doing, even if you wish they would just go to hell. But <laughs> just <laughs> just say, hey, and just keep it moving. Um, if you see someone that's doing some research that you do like or whatnot, you know, get to know them a little bit so then mm-hmm. you know in that third year when you like hey let's write this paper together they don't be like who the fuck are you so um go to conferences and talk to people be like hey i read your paper and you know um you know when you see somebody give a talk when you know your 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 program might have like these you know seminars where the the speakers come and then they have like a grass student lunch Make sure you go to their lunch and talk to them. Ask them questions. Make sure they know your name. So, like, when you are looking for those postdoc positions and they'd be like, oh, I remember this person. I met her mm-hmm. a couple of years ago when she was in grad school. Yeah. I mean, technically, you should be building those relationships in undergrad, like, if you know what you plan on doing. And, I mean, it depends on what undergrad you're going to. Some of us don't go. Our undergrads don't have that research. That's true. Um, thing. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so the next step would be to know and make expectations for yourself and your advisor. It is okay to go up to your advisor and say, hey, like, this is what I want to develop. These are the skills I want to develop before I graduate. And um, I think this would be a great way for me and you to work together, uh, you as a mentor, to kind of help me to get to my goal. Yep. Like, before you start, just set up a goal for yourself. Like, what are the things that you need to know? The best way to do that is to look at a job that you really want and the qualifications for that job. Like, you can look at it from the aspect of like, okay, I need to learn how to do this. I need to learn how to do this. I need to learn how to do this. If it lines up with your academic advisor's goals and their special, you know, specialization, then you should take advantage of that. Yeah, and don't be afraid to tell your advisor like, hey, I need you to do this. I need this. Um, the relationship, the way my advisor mentors his students is at the beginning of each semester, we set up a goals list. Like mm -hmm. we have a goals meeting. So even if your advisor doesn't do that, you can be like, hey, I want to set up a goals meeting. I have written out my goals for this semester or for this year. I want to talk to you about those goals and see what you think. You know, your advisor might say, hey, these are too, um, maybe they have too many goals or um, they might say there's not enough goals. But like make that expectation, be like, hey, I'm going to do this this year. Is this good? So this is a part of that satisfactory progress. So you can make sure you know you are on your path. You are on the right path to do it. Because if your advisor say, yeah, this is fine. This is all you have to do. And then next year he says, you didn't do enough? I'm like, nah, nah, bro. I got this sheet of paper. We had this meeting. Here's the email thing. You said, if I do this, this, you know, and you, you had that meeting, send up a follow-up. I know one person that every time she talks to her advisor, she sends a recap so she can have proof. Like yeah, what he said. Well, <laughs> she has to go that far. So if you get to the advisor where your advisor sent him saying nine to say that, then maybe you need to Bounce. do it. Um, uh, and then just to piggyback off it, so like my advisor, I guess if I could put her like create a personification for her, I guess it would be Carmen San Diego. Um, so she's here, she's there, and she's everywhere. Like you, I, we literally have to find her. But when we do actually sit down and talk to her. It's um it's always something fun and exciting because we, as the students, tell her what we've been doing, the the research successes and failures that we've had as far as towards our own goals, and then she'll come and she'll give us her little ideas and our and her input, and then she's off again. So, but I mean, and that's that's still a good relationship. Like, yeah, like at least when you find her, you got it. But you do have like, do you have like weekly meetings or something? Yeah, like we'll 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 always schedule a time to actually sit down and talk. But between that time when we actually sit down and talk, getting a hold of her, yeah, can sometimes be. Yeah, we have weekly lab meetings where one person from our lab actually like presents their research oh, and no. you get feedback feedback and. I mean, mm -hmm. it's not by choice. Like, there, mm -hmm. there are times, like, I was actually just talking to one of my lab mates a few days ago, and I was like, she was like, you hate lab meetings, don't you? And I was like, yeah, I do. I hate them because I have lab mates that are, they, they're, they're skeptical and they criticize for the sake of being criticized, criticizing. They think that grad school is just, like, you have to criticize everybody's research, and you have, like, there are some researchers that think that, there's no such thing. Well, I mean, there is no such thing as perfect science. Mm -hmm. But sometimes people do a damn good job. And you can just say, hey, that was really good. But no, these people got to just find a flaw in everything. Nah, when I was in Dolores Umbridge Lab, we had those weekly lab meetings. And I hated it. And you could tell that every other student hated it too. Because we'd all look at each other and we'd just be like, okay, please stop talking. We're all ready to go. And it was bad because the students would present. And the only person that would ask questions was her. Oh, see, like, our advisor, he quiet. He don't say nothing. There are times, there, well, there are some times where he will, like, step in when the grad students are getting too rowdy. But I think he should step in way more times. Like, I actually will step in before he'll step in because I'd be like, hey, let's um, let's remember this person is doing a master's, um, but see, not a Ph.D. I like a student. The idea of a student-led weekly meeting for one, it should be bi-weekly. But a student-led meeting is way better than when your advisor is completely 
dominate it. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, but, whoever, yeah, whoever signs up, they lead it. And he's just a certain, it's, it's to, it's to present your research, get comments or whatnot. But these students take it. These, these are, there's some entitled, there's some students that just think that they are know-it-alls and that they know everything, even though they will stop, start a sentence like, I don't know a bunch about this topic, but why did you do it this way? And why did you do it that way? And then when you explain to them, well, that doesn't make sense. Maybe you should have did. But didn't you start it off saying, I don't know much about this. Maybe you need to just shut the fuck up. But anyway. <laughs> shut the fuck up. It's fine. I mean, I'm like, he's gone. He has, <laughs> he, has, he has defended and he has gone. And I don't have to see him ever again because he was just whatever. I mean, it's whatever. Do you and right. know what you need. So part of knowing yourself, know your expectations for yourself and for your advisor that's going to better you. Fuck everybody else, better you. Right. So um, that's just going to give us to this, our very last tip of today is to know that you are there and that is that. That's it. End the story. Boom. Yeah. Don't, you know, people going to be like, oh, you just got in on a diversity fellowship because they needed more women. They needed more black people. They needed more Hispanic people. Things like that. Nope. You got in because they wanted you. And who the yeah. fuck cares if they don't want you or not? I mean, that's You it. there. Who the fuck cares? Bitch, I'm here. And bitch, I'm trying to graduate. We're done. Like, bye. Bye.